Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Bermuda Triangle, Prison Mom, Adoption Reunion, East Palo Alto Granny Has Had Enough. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted and Unsolved Mysteries Podcast. Uh, Robbie, how's it going? Not bad. Not bad. I, I don't have a glass of milk in front of me, so mm. I'm not going to be belching up the entire time like I did in the episode that I just listened to that you posted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I had some, um, because we had like no appropriate breakfast food in our house i had some indian leftovers for breakfast so uh it may be i providing the noises sound effects for this episode uh no that's gross i wouldn't do that i'd probably i probably would just switch my mic off real stealthily if i thought something was gonna happen um so i went up to sacramento sacramento Oh, you did? Yes, yes, I went up there last weekend, and I also made a stop in my hometown of Benicia, California, to okay. see um, my my dear friend and friend of the podcast, actual original fan, uh, my friend Nicole. <laughs> hi, who, Nicole. Hi, Nicole, um, <laughs> who had been meaning for a very long time, but we hadn't seen each other, to give me a Christmas present, it, and here's what she gave me. It is a book called Straight Shootin' by Robert Stack. Yes, it's the Robert Stack autobiography. What? Yeah, so I thought we might introduce a new new recurring segment. Um, so thank you, Nicole, where I find a particular anecdote from Robert Stack's life in Hollywood, his storied career, and I read it aloud on the podcast. I, I think this is an amazing... <laughs> Yeah, for a, a new segment, certainly much better than because I, I, I will admit I have been trying to come up with a re, reoccurring segment to mm-hmm. introduce to the show. Mm-hmm. And about the best I've been able to come up with is one entitled Shot in the Dick. Yeah. And I don't know how many times that could really be introduced. So, um, well, I think any time someone gets shot in the dick on Unsolved Mysteries. Right, right. But, uh, but I, my thing is, is I think there may not be too many occurrences. Well, we don't know, do we? Uh, there's True, ten, ten seasons yeah. of this. We'll be doing this podcast for the rest of our natural lives. Yes. Uh, and okay. certainly at the rate that we're doing it. So anyway, this is Straight Shooting by Robert Stack. Um, I'm going to be reading from the chapter entitled uh, The Kiss Heard Round the World. So this is a story coming from uh, pretty early in his film days. Uh, I think we're going to be looking at probably the 1940s here. Uh, yeah. All right. <clears throat> here we go. From Straight Shooting by Robert Stack. <laughs> it's never a good idea to read things into photographs. At one point I had my picture taken with Lana Turner. We were supposed to be discussing Lana's interest in crocheting, parentheses. What else would a man be discussing with Lana Turner? Mm. Lana was regarded as one of the most beautiful actresses in Hollywood. Since the premiere of First Love, the fan magazines had been madly speculating about the girls I dated. I asked Lana out and took her to see my racing hydroplane. The mechanics on the pier nearly fell off when they saw Lana, parentheses, probably wearing one of the sweaters she crocheted, walking over to inspect my boat. Since I was involved in hydroplane racing up to my ears... I naturally assumed that Lana would be just as fascinated. I spent a marvelous evening getting the boat in racing condition. Unfortunately, I was so engrossed in what it was I was doing that I failed to notice that Lana, unaccustomed to being ignored and not sharing my enthusiasm for camshafts, manifolds, and such, had simply picked up and left. Parentheses, Lana and I should have stuck to crochet. 
<laughs> and that is the anecdote from Straight Shooting by Robert Stein. Wow, he yeah. was into hydroplanes. Well, I'm a little. I didn't Google it, but I was having a little uh, discussion with Dave yesterday morning. Is a hydroplane a plane or a boat? Because he calls it a boat. But then I thought a hydroplane yes. is the plane that can like take off and land in water. It's got the pontoons on the bottom. It has 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 hydro in the name. So, uh, did Dave have a firm? He well, he he seems to think it's a boat, and I think uh, it's I think it's a plane with the pontoons. Is is this a situation where I I, I should Google this? No, I'm doing it anyway. I think it's better to maybe I don't know. Okay, I won't I won't I won't discuss. Yeah, mm. you're gonna satisfy your own curiosity. Yeah. Um, okay. you know the thing I really liked about this anecdote because this is this is such a classic story. I mean, what young man? hasn't he's finally lands this great day and then he he he's like i'm gonna nerd out on this hobby with my friends and ignore my date yeah i i mean i've been on that date i can relate to i mean you know probably should have left lana turner yeah she made the right call yeah yeah she made the right call there uh out of curiosity i assume that this date you're referring to didn't involve a hydroplane it didn't it was probably something much more lame like video games or you know uh yeah the standard uh yeah. standard 21st century uh hydroplane standard <laughs> uh no i think i think a boat or a plane would have been much more interesting than like watch me play this video game for whatever long time have do do you remember when I was over at your place once and you had L.A. Noir? Yeah. And you you had me try playing it. Yeah. And I actually I've ta- I've, I've talked about this antidote before. Have you on this podcast? Right. Okay. Yeah, where where I was playing as the character and very early on, I sort of get stuck in this situation where I couldn't find the stairs going up. So my character just sort of walked around in circles mm-hmm. in a very small space. I mean, this is literally what you would picture someone who's just walking in circles doing probably several dozen times before you gently took the controller out of my hand and mm-hmm. guided the character over to the stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was my uh, one and only experience playing L.A. Noir. <laughs> Not a gamer. Not a gamer. Not 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 really. Yeah. Um, but man, Robert Stack's so cool. He has, he has a date going on with Lana Turner. Yeah, and then he like blows it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that that part's not quite so cool. But... I thought that was like a fun a fun one. I you know the other thing is I was I was really sort of cruising for like salacious stories. <laughs> and I, I didn't. Re- I haven't read the whole book yet or anything, but I was just kind of like speed reading through it. And um, you know, this is a man who is, I think, married to the same woman for decades. Okay. I don't think there's going to be anything too juicy in there. I think it's just going to be like stories your grandpa would tell you. Yes. You know what yeah. I mean? I don't think there's going to be anything too crazy in there. So. No, no. I I have a suspicion you might be correct. Now, this book technically mm-hmm. would this be. Since, you know, while Nicole, of course, is your friend, but mm-hmm. she's also a fan and she mm-hmm. give, gave you this book in the context of uh, our po- because of our podcast. Mm-hmm. Does this count as the first time that someone's actually sent us something or gave us something rather? Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's I think it covers both the basis of being like a funny Christmas present, but also like, yeah, a, a donation to the pod. I mean, I don't know that she intended when she gave it to me that I would be reading things aloud on the podcast, but I thought that was a pretty good use for it. So Yes, yes, I, I think so. Wow. Um, unfortunately, though, he wrote this book. It was published in 1980, so this is way before he got the Unsolved <laughs> Mysteries gig. So we're, oh, there's no Unsolved no, Mysteries? No, oh. no, no behind the scenes. There, I don't know, maybe he wrote another book after Unsolved Mysteries where he, like, dished on like uh, who he thought was guilty or whatever but um, <laughs> I would have I would genuinely be interested to see what his opinions were on like every segment yeah. guilty innocent guilty innocent bullshit yeah bullshit. he's like UFOs are bullshit ghosts are <laughs> bullshit um, 
Yeah, I would be too, but I, I also think he probably didn't watch the show. I think he probably just showed up to do his host hosting gig and then went golfing or when, or hydroplaning. <laughs> Should we get into uh, our, what are we on, season three, episode episode two? Two, yes. Um, so this, our first segment was, concerns sort of the Bermuda Triangle. Though, yeah, I, mm, yeah. Though I feel like Unsolved Mysteries kind of. It was a little bit of a bait and switch, wasn't it? It was totally a bait and switch. Mm-hmm. You start out in the first minute thinking you're a Bermuda, you've got a Bermuda Triangle segment, mm-hmm. but it's really more just a tragic um, lives lost situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's actually... Uh, I was... I was think I've thought about the Bermuda Triangle a lot, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel that what we have here is a situation where there's just a treacherous bit of the ocean and ships get lost in it because of, you know, weather and whatnot. And people just arbitrarily be like, Oh, it's haunted. Cause, and I cer- I kind of feel like unsolved mysteries in the rare occasion took an editorial spin where they sort of, you know, call BS sort of on mm-hmm. supernatural stuff involving this mm-hmm. because Robert, you know, Robert Stack, uh, uh, when he's doing the hosting bit, he talks about how some people feel that the ships lost in the Bermuda Triangle have been, like, absconded away to some other dimension or something mm-hmm. out of reality. I can't remember his exact phrasing. But, uh, but, uh, but he says it with a sort of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, maybe not tongue-in-cheek isn't the right term he says it like with a slight dismissiveness and then yeah i noticed that too i i and i kind of appreciated that they're they're coming at this like a little more scientifically than maybe some of the mysterious legends or right uh whatever's of, um... yeah because there's a more as as he put it down to earth theory mm-hmm. and in fact Really, even this isn't even so much a segment. I, I would put forward this is isn't even so much a segment that's about the lost planes mm-hmm. as it is a documentary of a guy who's trying to find them. Yeah, but but I perhaps I'm jumping ahead, but I just I just wanted to get that out there real quick. Yeah. Hey, Robbie. Yes. Sorry to do this, but like Indian food, man. Can we resume in five? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Go. <laughs> I promise. I promise not to edit out what I just said. So we'll have some. Color. Oh, I'm I'm fantastically delighted by that. Okay, I'll I'll be back in like f- five minutes, maybe less. Okay, and I've I was not recording for when you said that, so don't repeat it. So this isn't so this isn't really a Bermuda Triangle segment. This is basically a guy who has a theory about what happened to some uh, planes that crashed. Was it during the nineteen? 19- I want to feel like. <sighs> It's like 1940s World War II area area. Uh, yes, era. it was the immediate post World War II. I believe this was December 5th, 1945. Okay. Yeah. Wasn't World War II over on? When was World War II over? Uh, I believe Japan surrendered in August. Okay. So this is just just this is just a few months after that. Okay. Okay. So there's a. Five of Avenger torpedo bombers. Thank you. Um, and they're taking off, What? where, where was it? Um, Fort Lauderdale, Florida? That is correct. So one of the things I noticed when Stack opened up the segment is he's in a, uh, he's at an airstrip or airfield um, that has a lot of old-timey airplanes. And I was trying to think of, like, where they might have filmed this. And I suspect it was probably at the Van Nuys Airport, which is very very close to my house because they have a lot of vintage they do a lot of filming there but they also have like a lot of vintage planes i wonder if he he had his own personal plane somewhere there maybe his hydroplane well or maybe in addition to hydroplanes he's interested in aircraft mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or something i don't anyway i i just had to throw that out there because ever since you're 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 reading out of his book i'm just picturing robert stack like 
I mean, up to this point, we've seen him in a variety of different outfits and locations. And sometimes I've kind of thought, well, maybe he's a little out of place there. But who knows? Maybe he's like, he basically does everything. I, I Sorry. Sorry. This, 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 mm-hmm. this is getting us far afield from the Bermuda Triangle. Right. Um, I, so- I don't have I don't have a crush on Robert Stack. <laughs> Be okay if you did, though. Um, Dave was trolling me when we were watching this episode uh, last night. He was trying to convince me that the, Robert Stack was just wearing like a fake half suit under his trench coat and that he's <laughs> nude from, from nipples down <laughs> under that thing. Uh, that sounds that sounds like he's talking more about Marlon Brando than he is... <laughs> Robert Stack. Well, I mean, he was trying to upset me with trying to picture this. I'm like, Robert Stack's been a pretty fit dude his whole life, so this isn't as upsetting to me as you are trying to make it. Mm-hmm. To think about mm-hmm. that. Uh, anyway, back to the Bermuda Triangle. So there's like a montage of like, again, with the bait and switch, there's like this montage before we get into the main story of all these ships that have been lost in this 400,000 square f- mile 400,000 square mile, 400,000 square mile area of the Atlantic Ocean. That's pretty big. Yeah, it is. I mean, mean, that's that's the thing. It's easy to forget just how intimidating traveling across the oceans can be, whether Mm -hmm. by uh, plane or ship. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they're not introducing it in this segment, but I don't really know how the legend, the Bermuda Triangle started but there's like a series of like five or six ships that they show that sunk in that 400,000 square mile area and I'm just thinking like I bet you could section off any given point (laughs) in the ocean right like a four of the same size yeah and probably near to land just not out in the middle of the ocean because we wouldn't know and you could just say oh yeah there was this amount of ships and airplanes have been lost over that area too the Newport, Oregon Triangle. Right, exactly. So I, I just think it's such a large area that this Bermuda Triangle thing is like, unless people are trying to say more ships have been lost in this specific area than anywhere else on the planet, which I've never heard. Yeah, like, I, I don't, don't even get. I don't like. I don't get it. Like, I don't get I, the Bermuda Triangle. I don't know the stats, and even if it was a situation where more ships have gotten lost there than other places, mm-hmm. I'm going to bet that this might be a situation where it's a confluence of you're in an area where a lot of hurricanes go through, mm-hmm. and as opposed to and a lot of shipping, just sort of there's a lot of shipping lanes that crisscross through there as well right Mm -hmm. so i just i just think it's you know it's people you know why are there so many car accidents on the freeway right there's a lot of cars on the freeway exactly no that's yeah yeah, but unsolved mysteries doesn't really get into it because this isn't really an episode about the or a segment about the bermuda triangle no no they very quickly just you know they they get out the basic uh, uh, details of what the Bermuda Triangle looks like, and then we we go on to discuss uh, what was his name, Lieutenant Charles Taylor, mm-hmm. who was the uh, flight leader uh, for this. It's a training exercise. Right. With these these pilots who I believe I believe they are just you know, they're on the verge of completing their their training and being full fledged. Uh, Avenger pilots, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, Unsolved Mysteries gives us this little depiction. It's it's sort of a neat depiction of 1940s uniforms and office spaces on an airfield. And basically, the gist that we get is that Lieutenant Taylor asked not to be the one to take the flight out that day. Uh, I guess he didn't really specify a particular reason. He just wasn't feeling it right he didn't yeah. feel well yeah there's a lot of like speculation on he might have been just hung over or maybe he had the flu maybe he had an ear infection whatever but he wasn't feeling it yeah so they but unfortunately there is no other experienced pilot to lead this training exercise so he's the one who has to do it and basically what we get is a situation that i feel kind of 
more than some crazy, you know, there's vortexes and the mm-hmm. Bermuda Triangle thing. I think this is probably a lot more frightening. It's just, it conveys just how big the ocean is, how mm-hmm. easy it is to just get lost when you're over, you know, a space where everything looks the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, the, what we get is basically the speculation is he thought that they were in lo- one location when they're really in another, mm-hmm. possibly because he had a, a broken compass. He wasn't listening to the young people, uh, young pilot trainees that were telling him that they were in one location or rather than the one he thought they were in. Mm-hmm. So instead of um, flying over the Florida Keys like he thought they were, they were really over the Abaco Islands in yeah, the Bahamas. I've never heard of I never heard of these until today. Yeah. And I, I, when I first watched when I was first watching this segment, I did kind of feel like how could he make such an incredibly big mistake? But man, I can only imagine how hopelessly lost I would be trying to fly o- o- over the ocean. Oh yeah, I mean if he has a broken compass, GPS doesn't exist yet. Um, yeah. and everything from the air looks the same. It's just ocean and islands. Like, yeah, I can I can totally understand how this happened. It's unfortunate he didn't listen to uh, his his mm, trainees. Yes, um, who presumably didn't have broken compasses. <laughs> but what, right. yeah, what ends up happening is he thinks they're returning back to Fort Lauderdale, so they start flying east. But uh, and this is when we have a we have a flight or an aviation investigator that's leading us through. Uh, you know his modern day theory mm-hmm. um and i mean it makes a lot of sense they thought they were flying east to go back to fort lauderdale but flying east just took them further out into the atlantic ocean and hours go by they start running out of fuel finally they, they decide to start going back west one plane goes down they're just like a few miles from this is all the theory like this hasn't been proven because nobody really yeah. knows but the one plane goes down just seven miles from shore and but because the other pilots hadn't seen spotted land yet mm-hmm. um they turn around and go back out at east and presumably all their planes went down somewhere in the atlantic ocean but they but the but the guy robert whatever his name is robert. oh uh charles taylor charles taylor. no that's fine is wasn't that the name of that the warlord in liberia i don't know to- <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I think there was like a lot of warlords in Liberia. Right, right. I just watched a thing recently and I learned that these warlords had a... And speaking of warlords in Liberia, <laughs> I just watched a thing recently and they had all these really wild nicknames for these really awful guys um, that they would print in the newspaper. And one of them uh, was named General Buck, Butt Naked. Butt Naked? Yeah. This was a Liberian warlord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One can only assume that the number of prank telephone calls uh, or presumed prank telephone calls that he received must have been substantial. Uh, yeah, I mean, he ate people. So oh. I don't know if this is the guy you want to prank call. Jeez, I guess uh, I guess Bart Simpson won't be giving him any calls anytime no, soon. No, damn, that's that's kind of dark. Uh, why uh, are we talking about library- Liberian <laughs> warlords? I'm so oh, confused. How did we get on this? Oh, uh, Charles Taylor. Charles, Charles Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. So so uh, yeah. So Charles Taylor. You know. Yeah, his the they they give a really neat map that shows the crisscrossing changing constant changing of mm-hmm. directions they were doing mm-hmm. and this very much watching this segment this reminded me of the first time i ever tried to drive through sacramento okay because oh, you know mm, yeah i feel like where i know where this is going but go ahead <laughs> oh you totally know where this is going uh-huh. i was going down there to go uh to go to ikea mm-hmm. and yep. that 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 basically yeah it's really confusing so basically if you're on i-80 and you are so there's two i-80s 
first of all. It turns into two. Mm-hmm. D- did you not realize that once, like, basically, I-80 West, not the business route, but I-80 West dumps you just just to the west of the Ikea? You didn't realize you had to take the 50 back, which is also the 80 business east to go to Ikea? Did you not realize that? Well, I had looked it up online. This was before I had a smartphone, so I'd looked it mm-hmm. up online beforehand, printed out uh, something. Um, but I was driving whatever I-80. I think I took the right I-80 first. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's going on and on and on, and I kind of get confused and worried. Mm-hmm. So much like Lieutenant Charles Taylor, I decide to turn around. Yeah. So I get off the freeway go back the way i came Mm -hmm. uh then take the other i-80 and i take that for a while you know it goes on for however long it's going on and i start to become really insecure again Mm -hmm. so i take the first exit i can find that there's where i can see there's a gas station Mm -hmm. go inside and buy a map of sacramento Mm -hmm. and spend probably at least half an hour analyzing it mm-hmm. while uh you know tr- trying to extrapolate where i should be going based off you know because i know what street i'm currently on because mm-hmm. of the exit mm-hmm. i i realized that i was right the first time so i get back into my car mm-hmm. <laughs> head the oh, head i know this back. is classic i know i've done this i mean i didn't yeah. buy the map but i've like tried to go to ikea and then and, and then before you know it like you're in davis and you're like, uh, go to where was the Ikea? And I didn't yes. mean to go to Davis. And now I have to sit in the causeway traffic going back to Sacramento because there was a mysterious, there's like, you have to go west and then you have to go, you have to take another freeway and go back east, like one exit. Yes. To get to, yeah, it's really, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's totally confusing. And it's yeah. exactly, it is exactly like flight 19. This yeah, it was our trying own, to get to IKEA. This was my own personal flight nineteen type yeah. experience. Yes, and the thing was is I knew the IKEA was right near the the freeway, and mm-hmm. I think that was part of what was throwing me off. Mm-hmm. Much like you know, Lieutenant Taylor is being thrown off by you know several things, like he mm-hmm. flying over what he thought were the Florida Keys and and so forth, mm-hmm. and it just yeah, I it took me maybe like three hours upon reaching Sacramento to actually reach the Ikea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically the causeway between Sacramento and Davis is the Atlantic ocean. Yes. And you kind of don't realize what's happened until it's too late and you can't get off the freeway. Mm hmm. Yeah. So totally relatable. Uh, so this guy, this flight aviator guy, Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, in modern Ms. times in, in 1991. Meyer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, John Meyer? Sure. Um, yeah. He gets uh, his research together. He And, and actually, where, where we're at, um, under he learns after the Challenger explosion off of Cape Canaveral yeah. that when they went to go retrieve the fuselage and whatever else they could of the Challenger um, in the ocean, they actually found the remains of a vintage plane mm-hmm. in that area. And so the sky... John David Meyer <laughs> uh, puts it together and he's like, well, this might be one of those Avenger aircrafts from Flight 19. This this makes sense with my theory. I know there's now a plane down there because they happened to find it when the when they went to salvage the Challenger. So he gets on a boat. He gets a sub, on a submersible. Um, Unsolved Mysteries goes through all the identifying characteristics that an uh, Avenger aircraft would have had. Um, it appears that whatever it is under the ocean is, in fact, an Avenger aircraft that went down. It's upside down, like, on the seabed, but they can they can check off all the things that they're looking for. They managed to salvage a piece of the fuselage from the Avenger aircraft, bring it back on board, but they can't find any identifying serial numbers or anything like that. So um, where we're left, basically, is Dave Meyer saying, until we can dredge this thing up from the bottom of the ocean, we won't know if it's Flight 19 or not. Exactly. And that's that's where we leave it. That's the whole yeah. story. Yeah, I you know, the, there were there were actually a couple of moments in the reenactment 
I thought were pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. One was when they because they have this uh, military guy who's you know at the radio back at the uh, base, um, you know, getting all their transmissions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And d- did you catch the part where like very late on in their they're being lost mm-hmm. like he catches a, a snippet of transmission from one of the one of the pilot trainees who was saying mm-hmm. something like if we don't turn around we're going to be dead or, or mm-hmm. something like that it's like ooh man that's yeah, uh that's yeah pretty dire um you know uh another thing we notice in the reenactment uh there's in the briefing session before flight 19 takes off um, there is a American flag hanging in the back of the room and yeah. Dave is watching this and he's like, I think that flag's wrong. Oh, was it a 50 star? No, I said, and then I said, well, Dave, this is in the 1940s. So you have to consider it might be period accurate. We don't have 50. We have 48. at the time. Yeah. And so then he looked it up and he and he was like, oh, yeah, that was period accurate. So I would just like to give props to that reenactment for getting the right flag in the background for the time period. Very, very yes, yes. very good on them. Yes. Um, but yeah, this is, I don't know. This There really isn't much. I don't feel like there's much to say about this because like it's not like we get an update where David John Meyer was able to pull up the plane and verify it was part of Flight 19. They know it's an Avenger aircraft. They just don't know that it belonged to this flight. I'm kind of curious, like if it's not part of that flight, what Avenger aircraft is it? In fact, yeah. cause they also like the, the crew that uh, the, who initially found it thought it was some other plane and mm-hmm. moved on. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the situation is kind of reminding of me of remember when there was actually, you may not have been in Nevada at the time. Uh, there was a millionaire who was flying his private plane from like Gardnerville or something across the Sierras and he okay. disappeared. I don't remember this, but go on. Okay. Yes. Uh, I can't remember his name. It was something like Steve Fawcett. Mm-hmm. And so he was, you know, he was just doing a, a short flight. I, I think it was, you know, he was supposed to be in the air no more, more than 45 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. But he disappeared, and so they had this big manhunt uh, or search for him. I can't recall if they actually found him or not. But what struck me during this situation, and it, you know, it turns out that this a lot of planes get lost in in this area. Mm-hmm. I watched something on actually they they covered it on Nova one mm-hmm. night. Where it's just because of the way the mountains are, there's a lot of like situ- spots where wind will just suddenly appear underneath your plane, knocking you up or, or something. Mm. Uh, so you know, much like the Bermuda Triangle, it, it's not a interdimensional vortex sucking up planes and stuff. It's just ambient weather conditions. But in the process of their search for them. They kept finding all these other, like, crashed planes and stuff. But what was weird, and what a friend of mine, we were in high school at the time, I think, what a friend of mine commented on was, how come they're not talking about any of these other, like, crashed planes that they find? It's like, well, they're not the millionaire, so who cares about them? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know what the decision making is with that especially with these salvage efforts right you know i mean like presumably doesn't that mean like if it was not one of these flight 19 avengers it was another avenger that crashed Mm -hmm. or or was lost (laughs) they, they kind of they kind of just brush over that All right, moving on. Moving on to lost... One of two consecutive Lost Love segments jammed into this episode. Yeah, yeah. This this one's a little... There's not really much to it, Mm -hmm. um, but 
the reenactment has a couple of moments and it starts out with one that I really find love, which is, mm-hmm. it just shows this kid watching television. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is uh, February in the, was it the 1960s? Mm-hmm. Wait, were you doing this segment? I guess, I guess I am now. No, I don't think we talked about it. Yeah. We're, yeah. I guess we're we, both doing it. Yeah. Okay. Um, this, this is a standard prison give up kid situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a woman named Marge Ryder who over the course of her life has had three kids, each, each of whom she's had to give up. Yes. And the, the initial person that we're following here is, I believe, the middle child who was actually born in prison. Yeah, Marge was doing a, uh, she went to, well, she went to prison pregnant. She did not get pregnant in prison, thank goodness. No, no. Um, but she was like it was for armed robbery or something a year for 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 assisting in an armed robbery yeah yeah um and she has a daughter while in prison uh named i don't know what she i don't know what marge named her but this woman's name ends up being (laughs) jackie dragon It's not a joke. That's her real name. Jackie Dragon. Yeah, she was adopted Man. by the Dragon family. The golden child can bring her back as long as sunlight still shines on her body. No more magic and no more riddles, all right? She's dead! It's, it's kind of like the reverse of like when a dragon's raised by humans. You know, they don't actually depict her, 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 her adopted family in the the reenactments. No, I mean they don't. So it's, it's just like, it's just her as a child that gets reenacted. Um, yeah. I I actually really enjoyed the scene where young Jackie Dragon, young burgeoning uh, lesbian Jackie Dragon, is <laughs> really she's just talking about like the narration is talking about when she was a kid. She was like really obsessed. With, with movies prisons. about women in prison and i'm like <laughs> i don't i mean i don't want to stereotype but come on and then we see jackie dragon in the present mm-hmm. and she's she's got a, this is a real full mullet situation going on so i'm just saying the signs were there at an early age about you know so so you're saying that like uh she probably has the uh, she probably has a DVD copy copy of Chained Heat too. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm certainly not gonna argue uh, against that. Uh, it's, it's sort of a similar situation I had in my mind. I, I know the intent of the because they show in this reenactment her mm-hmm. as a kid watching the, this um, this movie with a uh, black and white movie prison movie. Mm-hmm. And I guess what unsolved mysteries was trying to suggest was that she found prisons to be a comforting environment because even though she has no memories uh, of being born in the prison she was in fact born in a prison oh you think darkness is your ally you merely adopted the dark I was born in it and so, therefore, it's familiar to her, almost like the safety. It, it feels safe, like like the womb or something. But mm-hmm. yeah, unfortunately, I also like the the. I, I will admit, the thought that ran through my head was like, no, she mostly just likes women in prison movies because she likes yeah. women and yeah. they're really hot. Also, her name is Jackie Dragon. I, fe- I feel like her fate was sealed. <laughs> sealed. At okay. That, point, that she would, in fact, grow up to buy a leather jacket. Uh, so, yeah, I don't remember how. So she finds her. She's snooping around in her house as an adolescent and she finds basically her adoption paperwork, right? Like her right. parents hadn't told her. Um, but then what happens? Like she confronts her parents with this and they're like, yeah, I don't remember what happened. I don't. I don't actually recall them really going into the details of what subsequently happened next. Cause I sort of do remember having this feeling like this notion in my head watching the segment where I thought I had the, there, the, I had this idea that maybe she, 
wondering whether she was just going to hold on to that little bit of information for for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like, you know, there, there has to be some way to turn that to your advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Vis-a-vis the family. Yeah. Like, like it's your, your get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm-hmm. Like, if the family's upset... Say she, you know, say she she got caught doing something at school, mm-hmm. got in trouble, or or something something quasi serious. Mm-hmm. She could you know she could throw that out and be like, well, you didn't even tell me I was adopted. Boom, you know that that atom bomb going off just will totally make them forget that she got caught cheating uh, uh, in freshman English or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Jackie Dragon probably raised a little bit of hell as a child. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. The leather jacket got put on at an early age. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so the, so the mystery here is that Jackie actually is through whatever means is able to get in touch with her birth mother, Marge Ryder, who's also being interviewed for the segment. Um, Marge is extremely happy to hear from Jackie. Um, and you know, they have a good rapport and like, that seems to be going well, but then Marge mentions to Jackie, you have two sisters who I also gave up for adoption. One of them, one of them was a toddler when Marge went to prison and had been taken care of by family members. Um, but then subsequently put into the, you know, Illinois, uh, child protective services. So we don't know what happened to, to the oldest daughter. And then there was a younger daughter that was given up after Marge was out of prison um, you know, and, and you know, uh, to, to Marge's credit here, this is, this is, you know, it's what is it, the 60s, early 60s? Yeah. Late, late 50s the... or something. You know, life happens. And I think, you know, Marge, of course, didn't want to give up her children, but she knew she couldn't provide a very good life for them. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what happened with her oldest daughter, but it kind of sounds like her younger two daughters truly did have a pretty, have a better life than she could have given them by being I suspect out. I suspect so the, the, her daughters were probably better off for this yeah yeah so I, I anyway so the mystery is unsolved mysteries is like hey can we get what's where are these other two women at where are you at and then um and then immediately we get an update which is the mm-hmm. other two daughters have contacted Marge or the show, or whatever. Um, they were all able to. F- I don't know what. Ha- I don't know what the hell happened. I don't know if a private investigator. Gonna- I don't know what the fuck happened. But, um, yeah. So there's a reunion at the uh, the end of the segment here. Mm-hmm. I think they all like a cut. Like the oldest daughter and the and Jackie. They all meet up at Jackie's house with Marge and Glendale. And then there's another reunion where they find the youngest daughter, Susan. Or something. Her name's Susan. Yeah. Something. Yeah. And so it's a happy ending. But then Marge drops at the end of the update. Drops a bombshell. Where well, I, I I don't know if you noticed this. I guess I didn't. Marge is like, I'm so happy to have all four of them back together again. <laughs> Who's the what? fourth? Who's the fourth? Are you serious? Yes, she says four. She distinctly says four, and then it's like goes to commercial. <laughs> and I'm like, who is this fourth child? We only talked about three. <laughs> I mean, maybe because Marge got late, married later in life. Maybe she had another kid that she kept, but like that but, is never discussed. And no. Marge is just like, I'm just so glad to have all four of my kids together. I'm like, what? 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 Where's the fourth one? We didn't. What? But we then didn't we don't see know. them in the reunion, right? I don't think so. I'm wondering if there's a situation where this fourth child didn't know about her three, you know, given away children, mm-hmm. and then when like all these reunions start, like pe- people start, you know, getting in touch with their mom, she maybe feels a little raw about it, mm-hmm. and that's why she wasn't there. Or maybe she was just busy with her life and couldn't couldn't get I don't out know. there. Or maybe she was fully included in this reunion and just got edited out. Out, yeah. <laughs> I do not know.
so moving on to uh, another lost another love, lost man, loves children taken away. Um, this is like pretty brief as well, and it gets it's like short, but it's confusing. I think. Yeah. Um, it's it's a sim- really similar situation, but this time it's like it's a mom in uh, Iowa. Council Bluffs, I, Iowa. It was Iowa. Yeah, yeah. and and her cr- her crime of being just really poor, um, right? Put child protective services onto her. Uh, you know, she had six kids, I think, between the ages of like one and ten. Dad wasn't around. Um, a social worker came into the house and was basically like, "You're you're too poor, and there's no food here, and your kids are living in squalor. So we're we're gonna take all of them away." Um, the oldest, you know, yes. Well, well, I, in theory, I, I, I would concur. I would agree that there are certain situations where, I mean, if the parent just, if, if, the, if the children are living in like literal squalor and are yeah. not being fed, yeah. But man, that social worker, as depicted in the reenactment, yeah. was a total fucking bitch. Yeah, she was just like tis- tisking and shaking her head. Tis- tisking everything. She yeah. like. Go up to every kitchen cabinet, open it, yeah. and if there was nothing in, she would like turn around and give like the a, a totally disapproving look. Yeah, yeah. You know, I but I want to say though, this is just just right. This timing is just right as we're pulling out of the Great Depression. I think this is World War Two area era. Yeah, yeah. Why I do think, I keep yeah. saying area instead of era? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> You know, I I think you probably could have wandered into a lot of families' homes and it would have been a similar situation back then. Yeah. You know? Um, So, the oldest son... So, we're hearing from, like, three of the now adult children that have uh, since, on their own, found each other. Uh, There's three or four of them because there were six kids total. They've all found each other at this point through their own means and uh, um, they're contacting unsolved mysteries now because there's the youngest son they haven't been able to find and so they want to put their family back together as adults uh you know and they go through all these really horrible tales about two of the youngest daughters were put in orphanages one of them wouldn't stop crying so she was meant to sleep in a closet mm-hmm. uh yeah real real great stuff yeah right it's- like one of the sons, basically, this farm couple. Oh yeah, was went to a foster foster care, which is just basically became slave labor. So he would do chores around the farm, um, and he he basically ran away back to whatever boys home for boys he had come from. Um, yeah. I'm not sure that most of these kids' outcomes were better having left their family home, because it sounds really traumatizing and. This- it does sound horrible. And, and especially like the social worker got them to come by telling them that she was taking them to the movies. Yeah. And then the oldest kid is like, uh, this is not the direction of the movie theater <laughs> once they get in the car. So I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, who can say? But it really seems like emotionally, maybe they would have been better off to have been with each other and not separated yeah. in this way. Um, you know, we don't we don't know you know because it's only the the oldest son was 10 when this happened so we're getting a 10 year old's perspective on on this so i mean they may they may have been in like mortal peril having stayed with their mother but maybe they weren't i don't know maybe it was just like you know the day before payday and the cupboards were a little lean and you know god forbid any uh social worker wandered into most of our parents houses on that day of the month and you know what i'm saying like yeah no no i i totally understand it's it could it could very well have been like yeah they were not they were poor but it could have been a situation where you know typical comedy of errors sort of thing Mm -hmm. like the social worker happens to come over at the worst possible moment right were you poor did you eat chicken pot pies pancakes a lot of pancakes uh, so the update, I think, basically at the end of the segment is just some white text saying the family found the other brother. Right, and right. That's the, it. There's no filming of the reunion there the way there was for Jackie Dragon. So it's just a little white text like, oh, they found each other at the end. That's the end of the segment. So case closed. Case closed. 
It's the mom who's, who's standing up to the drug dealers. Oh, yeah. C.W. Roddy. C.W. Roddy. Certified badass W. Roddy. Let uh, me tell you, like, I, I, I was really looking forward to this segment, and it was a good segment, but in my mind, when I saw the, you know, coming up thing, mm-hmm. I was really kind of hoping that there was going to be a scene where she was, like, walking out with a bandolier of shotgun shells and a shotgun, you know, like grandma's, you know, cleaning up the neighborhood. Yeah. So, um, we're going to talk about East Palo Alto, California in the early nineties as unsolved mysteries and Robert Stack very carefully point out Palo Alto city of is home to Stanford university. It has been, and is now currently a very wealthy, uh, suburb of San Francisco. But East Palo Alto, which is cut off from Palo Alto by a freeway, uh, was not a wealthy part. And I didn't know he was taking me to the ghetto at first. I started looking out the window. I was like, what the fuck? Gun store, gun store, liquor store, gun store. Where the fuck are you taking me? It was not a great place to live for a while. I think they're still... um, I think they're still struggling pretty hard just to get a freaking grocery store in East Palo Alto that you can walk to. Um, so, so really a big disparity. And and I and I'm glad Unsolved Mysteries points out uh, the difference here is you have two neighboring communities that could not be more different. So yeah. Also, I want to point out East Palo Alto High was the inspiration and setting for the movie Dangerous Minds with Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> Oh wow! Okay, yeah. I guess that 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 conveys better than anything. What what? I gotcha. Yeah. So this reenactment. Okay, what we're seeing here is C.W. Roddy. She lives in East Palo Alto. She's lived there for twenty three years with with her family. Um, basically, what's happened is uh, drug dealers have set up a drive through express for selling crack <laughs> or coke or whatever. On her street. And so you see all of these really nice cars, presumably coming in from, you know, the white neighborhoods, coming mm-hmm. to do their dirty business on her street. And, you know, she she comes out of her house in the reenactment. Unfortunately, it's not her in the reenactment, which kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, and I really, I really feel like the real C.W. Roddy would have added a flavor to this. Um, so she sees all this going out and outside in front of her house and she goes out there and she's like, the hell is this? You know? Right. And right. She like, is understandably upset. She's like, so the real CW Roddy says, you know what, what you do in your home is, is your business, but you're going to come and do this in front of my home. Now it's my business and you need to move it along. So she goes out there and she tells these young guns. She's like, no, get out of here. Scram. She's very polite about it, but. And they're like, get up. What you talking about, old bitch? And at some point, you know, she's out there. She's getting harassed. Um, she she goes out to confront these guys sometime a few months later after the initial thing. She gets punched in the face. This is like a 60-year-old woman, okay? Right, right. She well, gets clocked in the reenactment. And then right she, in the face. And then she slaps the shit out of the guy who did it. <laughs> I'm impressed that she was still standing after she taking no, she, that blow. It was, you know what? She was, and she was barely phased. She took that punch, and then she slapped that boy. So, um, so things kind of escalate. Uh, cops, you know, basically do catch and release with these guys. They don't seem to have the resources or the inclination to like start making arrests and prosecutions. And it all culminates on New Year's Eve, I think, of 1990. 1990 as people are wont to do shoot their guns off at midnight (laughs) (laughs) i you know they 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 discuss that in this in in the segment and i'm like what yeah and but it must certainly be a true thing because the way cw talks about it Mm -hmm. like she wakes up the sound of gunfire and how she i love how like in in the interview she just you know Blase says, like, I just figured they're celebrating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I th- you know, and I feel like this is something inner city people as far and, and rural people can relate to. This is a thing that happens. People are out there just shooting their guns into the air. I, I will not deny that in the shitty small town of Dayton, Nevada, mm-hmm. there, there there is 
similar situations. Yeah. So we can all relate. But CW is like, wow, this has been going on for a while. You know, mm-hmm. in the reenactment. And uh, she goes to to look out her window and the gunshots are getting closer. And uh, her house gets shot up. It's basically a drive-by shooting. And I think there was something like they found 48 rounds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. they, those guys pumped it full of bullets. Yeah. And uh, CW gets shot in the stomach. Um, obviously, she survives because she's here today telling her story. Her I s- will admit something mm-hmm. genuinely embarrassing. What's that? And I think, I think this was due to the fact, like, I thought, I didn't realize the woman in the reenactments was portraying the woman they are interviewing. So I thought, yeah, I, no, I, I un- yeah, I thought I thought the woman in the reenactment had died, and then right. this other woman because because first of all they look very dissimilar. Very, yeah, yeah, I assume because I assume that in the reenactments they are doing it was the the genuine woman playing herself. So I was just like, man, this is a rough neighborhood. Everyone's right. gotten like you know shot at and stuff. Right, and I and I think a lot of it too is because the woman and the the re- actress in the reenactment playing CW. Mm-hmm. Um, is seems to be quite a bit older mm-hmm. than CW herself. So there, it, that was confusing to me too because I thought the CW person maybe was like a sister or another person that lived in the house that was telling yeah. the story of this female relative that was in the reenactment. I didn't realize it was the same person either. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of confusing. I'm a, I'm kind of sad the producers weren't. I mean, I understand people don't want to reenact getting shot. <laughs> I like I get that, but I'm a little disappointed that like they didn't want to be in their own reenactment. Yeah, yeah. But, you know what? CW seems like a very no nonsense person. Mm-hmm. So okay, so she gets shot. Uh, they discover there's like three different guns. One of them was a semi-automatic that were used to shoot up the house. P- part of this is like part of the story is like the redemption story of her neighborhood because after this happens her neighbors are starting to rise up too and be like we're we're tired of this the police aren't doing anything people are getting shot um so there's like an army of moms that go and like (laughs) retake the neighborhood park um i don't know i don't know how they did that but they did it so you know cw talks about going and taking a walk through the park and being really uh, moved that you know she saw the, the kids playing safely back mm-hmm. in the park and she basically says you know this this bad stuff didn't start happening overnight and it won't be fixed overnight but i think our neighborhood has really come together to clean up our neighborhood and get these uh drug dealers out of here so i guess the mystery is who shot cw <laughs> <laughs> it turns out this entire season of unsolved mysteries will have just been a dream yeah yeah. <laughs> <Are>, like <laughs> CW wakes up and there's someone in the shower and it's yeah. RFK. <laughs> you oh Bobby, it was awful. When I woke up I thought that you were dead. What? I had a nightmare, a, a terrible nightmare. I dreamed that you were here and you were leaving and Catherine was in her car and she was waiting and and when we started to leave she tried to run me down but you pushed me out of the way and then she hit you and she crashed into a truck and she was killed. Okay, I guess that wasn't funny. No, it was. I laughed. I just did it quietly and off my... Um, okay so uh, yeah and then there's well there's no update to the segment so no so they just assume that is the update is she wakes up and her case in the shower yeah <laughs> solid dream um yeah you know this this was a really fun segment despite the unfortunate subject matter and their portrayal of the this fast food style drug delivery location this was wild i mean i can only imagine if that was happening out in front of my house like, like, do you think it was literally like that, or was it a little bit of unsolved <laughs> mysteries exaggeration? I think for... it was probably exaggerated a little bit. I <laughs> because mean, there, there are like a dozen cars. Yeah, lined I mean, up. this is like this is like a Starbucks drive-through at seven thirty a.m. Okay, this is like 
people backed up around the block to get their drugs. But yeah, the, one of the things they do, the Roddies mention, though, when they interview them, is that it was quite competitive. So you would have competing drug dealers out there and they're trying to hustle to get to the cars first. So I don't know, maybe it was like that. I, I kind of feel like it was a little over exaggerated um, for the purpose of the show. But, you know, like, here's the other thing, though. There's another, I'm thinking about what would I do in this situation? Yeah. I, you know, granted, I don't live in East Palo Alto, California. Um, I do think maybe LAPD would take our concerns a little more seriously and have the resources to do something if this popped up in our neighborhood. Okay. But on the other hand, if I have people like out in front and they're not, and I've asked them to go somewhere and they're like, not going anywhere. I'm going to be like, here's the deal guys. You're going to do business on my property. You're going to cut me into the business. <laughs> uh, what, what sort of rate? Are you, uh, what do you think would be fair? You know, I don't, you know, I don't want to get shot. So I'm thinking like, you got to 5%. Yeah, that sounds, that's the rent you're paying to do this business in front of my house. That sounds reasonable. I mean, if if all you're, if all you're doing is just laying them park on on the curbside without harassing them that, yeah, yeah. I mean, this Uh, is presuming after I've already called the cops and they're not doing anything. Doing it. Well, okay. Yes. Now you're going to cut me in or the next time I'm coming back out here with a shotgun. You decide how you want this to go. Man, I really like if this had been a grandma carrying a shotgun situation, I would have I would have been so in love with this segment. I mean, I basically picture, you know, in Back to the Future uh, 2. Mm-hmm. When Marty goes to the horrific alternate 1985, mm-hmm. the, like the principal catches him taking the newspaper off the porch, and the principal's wearing like a bulletproof vest. He has a shotgun and the bandolier of, of, of shotgun shells. Yeah. I really, I really wanted to see some gra- grandma. Is there a movie like that? If there's not, I feel like <laughs> there should be. Grandma cleans up the neighborhood. It's um... basically. <laughs> There's, there's, well, I mean, there's a few, like, Grandpa cleans up the neighborhood. Uh, it's gotta be Grandma, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, let's, let's, let's hammer out a script. Let's get this movie made. Right, right. You're in L.A. now. You, uh, you, sure yeah, you... I know. I'm so well connected. It's crazy. <laughs> Robbie, that's that was it. That was the end, my friend. Well, <laughs> overall, <laughs> I don't mean to. I didn't mean that to sound anticlimactic. I I thought this was a fairly solid episode of Unsolved Mysteries. I like that. Well, except for the folks on Flight Nineteen, no one was like murdered. Yeah, I like that about it. Yeah, yeah, it didn't like we've we've had some that were pretty emotionally draining. This, yeah, this was, I'm still I mean, like hung. I'm still like emotionally hung over after them ending the episode with the Las Cruces bowling alley massacre. It was oh like, God. and they just they just end the show on that. Like I'm still upset about that one. So yeah, it, yeah, was, I, it was nice I, that like this one ended on and and then we worked on cleaning up the neighborhood. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so that was nice. So, hey, everybody. If you feel like totally nagging us on iTunes and giving us a one-star review and telling us we should drink some coffee. Go to hell. Um, yeah, I was going to say, maybe listen to another podcast uh, about Unsolved Mysteries. But you can go to hell, too, if that works. And, <laughs> yeah, we, we're not the uh, morning zoo with Murph in the toilet over here. So we don't have a bunch of zany sound effects and... and we're pretty laid back folks and if that's the kind of unsolved mysteries podcast you're into i would invite you to come say hi um on twitter we're at reenacted pod we're also reenacted pod at gmail.com we got a very lovely fan letter from uh, willie a couple weeks ago really really just and we've been getting some really nice comments on 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 twitter too i i I was you shared with me there was a woman who like she had a pet situation yeah and she had she helped- a, a pretty tough pet situation she said that we were we were helping her laugh through it and honestly like that one person told us that makes all of this totally worth it and so we're gonna keep doing it 
um and hopefully you know we can make you laugh because i know that's like a lot of this lot of the entertainment but also a lot of times emotional support that i've gotten through podcasts is like you know i've i've been in the hospital and one of the uh, you know listen to a podcast to reduce my anxiety because it was like hanging out with my friends you know and right and i think when robbie and i set out to do this that's the kind of thing we wanted to do it's just like come come hang out with your pals robbie and crystal and we're going to talk about a very nostalgic tv show that we all grew up watching so yeah thank you for thank you we're for all the negative feedback we've gotten which is almost nothing compared to the positive feedback we've gotten we really appreciate it it really does make this not work anymore you know what i mean like it doesn't feel like work when we hear from you so that we we love it 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 sounds like not only have we brightened their day but maybe they helped brighten your day a little too oh absolutely i'm sure i'm sure it's completely (laughs) mutual i'm sure it's completely (laughs) mutual so if you feel like leaving us five stars uh somewhere yeah we uh, we have a facebook group we have a twitter um, we, 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 we love getting attention. Uh, if you, if you won, did we do the redrawing of, Oh, we, the... we will have at this we point. Will have. Yeah. yeah. So if that, if that's you and we haven't heard from you being the last episode that we did, hit us up or else we'll, we'll have to redraw again. So yeah. Anyway, um, Robbie, okay. do you want to do the thing? For every mystery, there is someone, somewhere, who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is watching. Perhaps it's you. Hello? I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good, I would call her. Wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a six-point ball. I wish I was like six foot nine so I could get with Leoshi cause she don't know me but yo she's really fine. You know I see her all the time everywhere I go and even in my dreams I can scheme a way to make her mine. Cause I know she's living fat, her boyfriend's tall and he plays ball.